Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host, David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. As always, I certainly am. If the audio sounds a little different this week, uh, I finally decided to upgrade the microphone. Uh, We're having some technical issues with the other one, and I've been using it for over a year now since we started the podcast. Did its job, did a great job, but I decided, you know what, I'm just going to upgrade, you know, because the other one was having some problems, the audio wasn't the best, so I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm not going to be cheap here, I'm just going to go, go big, and uh, get a get a full full micro full uh, studio microphone this time instead of getting a, a beginner microphone that I did just because you know it was the beginning of the podcast I got it over a year ago didn't know exactly what was going on but anyways you guys don't care much about that so if the audio quality sounds a little different or hopefully better uh, that is why we got a lot to talk about today and uh, I wanted to actually start so. A little off topic here with just a couple of uh, financial news. I know this is not a financial news podcast. This is a, more of a, a business tech side uh, of the of the business world, I guess. I don't focus so much on the macroeconomics. I focus more on micro, which is the, the business side. But I wanted to talk about a couple of things. First of all, a little bit of hypocrisy uh, in the JP Morgan world. If you didn't hear, J.P. Morgan, Chase, uh, the biggest bank in America. Are they the biggest bank in the world? I think they are. They're the biggest in America, which means they're probably the biggest in the world. One of the biggest banks in the world. Let's just put it that way. Uh, came out yesterday with their JPM coin, a cryptocurrency made by J.P. Morgan. And this is the same company whose CEO... Jamie Dimon, just about, I think, I mean, it was, I think it was October, November of 2017. So, you know, a little, uh, almost a year and a half ago, a little less than a year and a half ago, said that cryptocurrencies were a fraud, a scam. He bashed them multiple times publicly on interviews. I've seen CNBC interviews with him bashing it. I think he went on Bloomberg and bashed cryptocurrencies. And now, you know, a year, less than a year and a half later, his company comes with a cryptocurrency is after he called it a fraud is he a fraud or is it just incompetence i find it hard to believe that the ceo of one of the of one of the biggest banks in the world a very smart guy a guy who's proven himself to be very smart doesn't know what is going on with his company cuz cryptocurrency a, a cryptocurrency like jp morgan's coin that they created does not just pop up out of nowhere this is a long-term project and uh it was actually confirmed because i was on twitter yesterday kind of just reading people's reactions to jp morgan coming with their own cryptocurrency and i saw a thread from franklin b i believe that's who you say his last name it's spelled b-i b by i'm not sure anyways franklin he's the head of blockchain strategy at jp morgan said they started this project as early as 2016 which means that Jamie Dimon knew his company was building a cryptocurrency back when he called cryptocurrencies a fraud. 
I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. I'll let you interpret it how you how you wish, but I'm just going to leave it there. Maybe maybe we shouldn't trust bank CEO. Uh, bank bank CEO trust was at an all time high already, so I think this this definitely went to help that cause. And then the other financial inform uh, not information, but kind of news that came out yesterday was Larry Kudlow uh, of the White House said that. And I'm going to move on from financial stuff in a minute, so if you're not interested... By the way, I would leave timestamps in the description, so if you don't care, you can move on. But I just... I, I, I couldn't... I couldn't let these moments pass by, especially because I interviewed uh, Tyler Cowen uh, back in November. Or was it November? No, it was December. Sorry, it was December. Uh, a couple months ago. And both he and I agreed that the... Well, let me let me take a step back. Larry Kudlow came out and said that inflation is not necessary for economic growth and that they think that the White House believes that economic growth can be sustained without inflation and that inflation is not necessary. That the economy does not have to be driven by consumer purchases. I don't know about you, but this is the complete opposite uh, message that... The United States government, the Federal Reserve, have given to the people for over, what, 40 years now? I mean, since the 70s probably, um, so even longer. That consumer purchasing inflation, right? They always want to get 2 3% inflation. That's like the sweet spot. Consumer purchasing, getting people out and buying things. That's what drives the economy. Not savings, not investment buying things, spending moolah, spending that money, going into debt. That's what drives the economy. And now, coincidentally, as we approach what many uh, economists and smart thinkers in the financial world believe is a uh, zero inflation or deflationary period that we could be coming upon, all of a sudden, tone switches, we don't need inflation who, who needs inflation? We don't need inflation for growth. You know what drives growth in the country? This is the White House. Uh, savings and investment. That's consumer spending. This is the opposite of what they have been saying for 40 years. And all of a sudden, coincidentally, as the economy is almost forced into deflation and zero inflation... They changed their tune. And I the reason I bring up Tyler Cowen is because I think he's one of the smartest economics professors in the country. A lot of people agree with me. Had him on the show. We discussed this and he said the same thing. He said that savings and investment is what really drives economies and productivity growth, not consumer spending. Consumer spending is kind of like a a fake juicing. You know, it's kind of like doing steroids. It's not it's not real. Not to get any uh, meatheads upset, but it's not real. So anyways, that was all I really had to say. I, it's just my quick rant that, you know, I'm just going to put that in the the, the next checkbox. Uh, checking off a couple boxes here with JP Morgan saying it was cryptocurrencies are a fraud and all of a sudden they're not. And I called him on the BS when he said it. Uh, I had Tyler Cowan on and we talked about savings and investment being the best strategy, not consumer spending, going into debt. I mean, it sounds pretty logical, but that's not what the what the government says. So I'm going to check those couple boxes as the uh, I was right 
and not just me. I don't, I can take full credit here. Obviously a lot of other people will write too, but, um, yeah, I'm just going to mark that in the, I was historically correct column, both of those. And I think what we can learn from this is that, especially on the, on the government side, you know, when someone tells you that you can just spend infinite money and go into infinite debt and there's not any repercussions and it's actually a good thing, you know, it's actually good for the economy. You might want to think twice, you know, you might want to, I think we all can just use some logic and think, well, what if I did that in my personal life? What if I just spent as much money as I wanted and just went into debt, credit card debt, maxed out every credit card, bought uh, the most expensive home that the bank would possibly let me? Would that be a good idea? Probably not. Maybe I would have fun for a few years, but that debt would catch up to me. And uh, I think that's exactly what's happening right now. And it's not just the U.S. I'm not just saying it's the U.S. It's happening all over the world. Europe is guilty too. China is very, very guilty of it themselves. But uh, yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thunk? Infinite spending and infinite debt doesn't last forever. Wow. What a shocker. All right. That's my rant. I've already been going for almost 10 minutes. We're going to move on. And uh, we're going to get into the show today. So let's let's get started. I think that was the lo- that is definitely the longest intro I've ever had. But I just, I had to. I had to. Anyways, let's get into it. You ain't got no money. I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. So we're going to start off talking about Amazon. I feel like I might as well just have a weekly Amazon segment because I'm always talking about them these days. But, you know, for good reason. They're one of the most influential companies, if not... Are they the most influential company at this point? Probably. I think so. Probably at this point. I would say more. I think they're more influential than Apple. Probably it's a toss up between them, Google, and Facebook for more most influential. But anyways, nonetheless, let's talk about Amazon for a second. And this involves Google a little bit too. Um, but first, I want to. there's two stories for Amazon. Uh, but the biggest for me is that Amazon bought the Wi-Fi mesh router company, Eero. And now that might not sound like a huge news uh, announcement, but let me tell you why I think this is kind of important. I mentioned this because I did an episode on smart home about a month ago. This was after, right after CES. And I discussed the race between Google and Amazon to win as the dominant operating system for the home, right? You have Amazon Alexa and you have Google assistant. They both want to win. They want to get everybody in their ecosystem, Google already has a mesh Wi-Fi system. It's under the Google brand, um, but it's not that good. I would say it's a solid B- minus of a Wi-Fi system. Eero's system is undoubtedly better, if not one of the best on the market. So Amazon, you know, very smartly swooped in and bought the company. So now Eero is part of Amazon. Um, And the reason I want to mention this is because in my last podcast, I want to kind of amend a few of the things I said because I've been thinking more about the smart home space. Um, I said that before one company couldn't make everything. And I was kind of talking about Apple because a lot of people thought like myself, you know, over the past few years that why doesn't Apple really go into smart home and just create a fully integrated solution? But then I thought, well, you know, it's difficult for a company to be the best at building everything, right? It's di- And this is exactly what I said in my last podcast. That it's difficult for Apple to be the best at building smart toasters and alarm systems, smart doorbells and door locks and 
all that type of stuff. It's hard to be in Wi-Fi mesh router systems, you know, because it's it takes a lot of work to be the best at any single product, let alone being the best at a dozen products that are in the home. And so I thought, well, maybe it makes sense that Apple didn't do this. And maybe it makes sense that there won't be a fully integrated system by one company because it's just too difficult to be the best at everything, which I think is still true. But I think smart home, and rightly so, as I said, hasn't taken off yet because there is no company that does with an integrated system. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 there, right? The easiest way to get people to adopt is just say, okay, go buy this kit and you're done, right? But it's not that easy. That doesn't really exist yet. And so that is what Amazon and Google appear to be trying to do. And what I didn't realize is that even if Amazon and Google are not the best at making everything themselves, because like I said, the Google Mesh Wi-Fi system is not that good. I mean, it's good, but it's it gets the job done, but it doesn't go above and beyond for performance. But that doesn't necessarily matter if they can combine that with the Nest Home Security and Thermostat that they, you know, they bought the company. Uh, if they can combine that with smart toasters and fridges if they do that down the road they can combine that with you know whatever else if if they can combine all those things in an integrated system none of those things have to necessarily be the best individual product as long as the sum of the parts is better than any other option out there and that's exactly what google's trying to do also google bought ring probably about a year ago now maybe a little less than a year ago um they bought obviously Eero, and they bought a lot of other companies too. And so my, I want to do a man that I didn't realize that the sum of the parts is probably better than the individual being individually the best at all those things. Not to mention that Google and Amazon, quite frankly, have deep enough pockets, enough money in the bank to go out and just buy the best product out there like Amazon just did with Eero. Eero was probably the best, if not one of the best, and they just bought the company. So now Amazon is one of the best. And so the achievement that Google and Amazon are very much racing for is a good enough integrated system that it gets people to adopt, that finally we get mass adoption of smart home tech. And we're starting to see it, but it's still not fully there yet. And once people are all in on one system, either Alexa or Google Assistant, it's very unlikely that they'll switch. Because if all their devices are Alexa, they're probably the next device they're gonna buy is probably not gonna be a Google Assistant and vice versa, right? So that's why they wanna get the they wanna really, really, really nail the full ecosystem with customers. Because that also means that anybody who creates anything for smart home in the future will have to make sure that it works with either Alexa or Google Assistant. Now, I don't think this will be a winner-take-all thing. I think that you will basically have Amazon households and Google households. But I think the, these are the two that will control probably almost all, if not, I would say, 90-plus percent of the market share of smart home, say, a few years down the line when more and more people adopt it. Um, but anyways, I just kind of wanted to mention that because I thought it was important and I wanted to amend what I, what I said a few weeks ago or about a month ago now. It's better to just 
get an integrated system that's good enough rather than being the best at everything. That's the lesson here. And I think that applies to a lot of other things. All right, let's talk about Amazon HQ2 for a second. Uh, this was a big controversy a few months ago. And it still is today. Amazon decided that they are not going to build their HQ2 in New York. They still are in Virginia, in the D.C. area, but they're going to leave New York. Um, I'm pretty neutral on this one. I just wanted to mention it because it was kind of in a lot of headlines this week. Um, you know, Amazon was bringing over 40,000 jobs, I believe, and infrastructure money. But I'm also not a big fan of giving subsidies to any company, especially companies like Amazon that don't need the subsidies. Um, as far as the political side of things, I'm not sure it was the smartest move by the politicians that really push for this because I've seen that uh, as far as the polls show that over 70% of New Yorkers approved of the HQ2 because of the jobs it was bringing. So the politicians that were celebrating that they got it kicked out, I don't know. Again, I'm not a political guy, so maybe it was good. But I, as far as the polls show, it's probably not the best idea. But anyways, um, I think what the bigger thing that this does is that it scares off company, future companies and entrepreneurs from wanting to set up shop in New York. You know, New York for the past probably decade or so has created a lot of incentives to get companies to move there, including big tax breaks. So this is kind of a setback for them on that front because one, they're losing one of the biggest companies that has moved there, if not probably the biggest. Uh, but it also shows other companies, hey, if you try to move here and try to get any incentives from the government, even though they're offering them to you, you're going to get a lot of pushback from locals and local politicians. So maybe you don't want to move here. And then obviously you add that on top of the incredibly high real estate costs and labor costs in the New York City and the kind of greater area around there. I think a lot of companies might just look elsewhere from moving to New York. Just my quick two cents. Again, I'm pretty neutral on this topic. I don't really care either way. Uh, Amazon will be just fine. And New York, uh, they'll be fine for now. We'll see. Maybe this could have long-term consequences. That's the only thing. All right. The final topic I wanted to discuss today was Apple News. And I got to say, you know, Netflix continually shows that they've really changed the industry um, because it's like every week there's a new Netflix for X, basically. Last week I talked about Spotify and how they were trying to build the Netflix for audio, even though I said that they were more like a YouTube for audio. But anyways, nevertheless, you know, now this week Apple is trying to build the Netflix for news. So if you didn't hear, uh, I'll give you a little background. Basically, Apple News right now is free. It has about 90 million users, as as has been reported, um, and they are going to be offering in March, mid-March, they're going to come with a new product offering that is $10 a month that gets you unlimited access to a bunch of news publishers uh, articles. So instead of subscribing to a bunch of different publishers, you can go to Amazon or go to Apple and subscribe there, uh, exactly like a Netflix for news exactly what they said so anyways um let's think about this for a second there's been quite a bit of controversy um should news publishers do this will this even be successful on amazon's part a lot of questions going on i want to look at the numbers for a second so apple has 90 million free users how many of those are going to convert to paid uh i'm going to be generous i'll say let's say 10 percent or round it up that'd be 9 million let's round it up to 10 million 
10 million people convert to pay $10 a month. Okay, that's $100 million a month times 12. That's $1.2 billion a year. Sounds like a lot, but really it's not that much. Apple wants a 50% cut, apparently. Now, I've heard there's rumors, there's people saying, yeah, it's kind of a bluff. They're kind of throwing the number out there uh, so that when they come in asking for a 60-40 or 70-30, publishers gladly take it. We'll see. I don't know. But for now, the number is 50-50 as far as I've seen. So we're going to go with that. So 1.2 billion divided by two, obviously that's 600 million each. So that means $600 million to Apple. And then the other $600 million gets split between the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and all these other news companies. Those three companies that I just mentioned right now are going to do, or in this year, will probably do over $3 billion in revenue. Just those three. Not to mention all the other publishers that are going to be on this platform. So, and obviously, like I said, $3 billion versus $600 million that's going to be split between all of them. Uh, that doesn't really add up. You know why? That's not very much money. So Apple needs to bring in way 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 more subs now obviously that's at my 10 million subscribers which i think is a little generous but maybe apple is really really good at marketing this service and really good at getting people to convert but even if you double it even if you say get 20 million paid subscribers and you have now 1.2 billion to split between uh, all the publishers, that's still not that much. Like I said, just those three that I mentioned make over $3 billion in revenue, not to mention all the other publishers that are going to be on here. So why would big publishers do this? They don't get any data, right? Apple keeps the customer relationship and the data. They don't even get the email addresses or anything of anybody who subscribes. And they have to compete for digital real estate on the platform with every other publisher to get their articles seen and the way apple is going to pay um these publishers is by how much like how much of the split that they get of that 50 50 is by how much time is spent reading their articles which i think is a fair metric but they're gonna have to compete with every other publisher new york times washington journal washington or Washington Journal, uh, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, uh, CNN, CNBC, all of these companies are going to be competing with each other for the digital real estate, right? You, you want to be first, and there's going to be a big battles for being first. So those are reasons why these publishers are probably, they don't have much incentive to do this. Small publishers, yes. Because they want more exposure, this could offer a lot of exposure, and it could offer more income for them that they might, then they might already generate. Especially if they're a smaller publisher that makes money from ads and isn't really able to flex their muscles and produce enough content quantity and quality like the big publishers to get a ton of paid subscriptions. So maybe for smaller publishers this makes sense, but Apple needs to get all the big publishers on board if they want to gain a massive user base because that's what would make the subscription worth it at the end of the day and it's going to what if they get a huge user base then maybe it becomes economically viable for big publishers to join in again a bit of a catch-22 here the big question is whether apple news revenue will supplement the big publishers or whether it will kind of 
replace a lot of their subscription revenues. So are Apple new subscribers subscribers going to be mostly people who wouldn't have otherwise subscribed? I think the answer is honestly both. If you So say you're someone who subscribes to the New York Times and the Washington Journal. Then it's probably going to be a no-brainer to subscribe to Apple News instead because you're going to save money. So then New York Times and Wall Street Journal are losing money in that subscription that you were paying before. And they're losing the customer data because now your relationship is through Apple and not through them. So that's a big loss. But there's probably also a lot of people who maybe don't subscribe to any newspaper or news outlet right now. But then when offered for $10 a month to get access to a bunch of them, say, okay, well, that's worth it for me. It's in this low price bundle. I'm willing to pay that. So the big question remains, will publishers see a net gain or net loss from joining Apple News? Now, the other kind of thing that matters here is relevance. If you're not on Apple News, could you become irrelevant? If everybody else is on it, it becomes a necessary platform to be on if a bunch of big publishers are on there but then one decides not to be are people really going to be willing to go out of their way to leave the ecosystem for one publisher when all the other major ones are on there maybe but probably not depending on the quality but in most cases probably not which means if if apple can just get a few of the big publishers they can probably get all of them and then they can get the small ones too But in the end, Apple's goal is to amass as many subscribers as possible. And yes, I know that's a very obvious statement, but I mean that beyond the the short-term money. I mean it because if they can get to the point where they are the news source for tens of millions of people, then they will have the leverage for negotiations with the publishers in that 50-50 split or 60-40 split or whatever it becomes. And content publishers may find themselves forced to join, as I said, or else face irrelevancy. If they can get to that point, then Apple has all the leverage, all the power, and this Netflix for news will really, really work. So that's kind of the situation here. I don't know all the details. Again, a lot of this is kind of rumors, rumblings, but... I think Apple will be able to flex its muscles and get publishers to join. But I think we'll have to see long term, really, just how many people are willing to subscribe to a news bundle. Apple has to prove that they can get millions of people who are not who are not currently paying for news to now pay for news, because if they can prove that, then this platform is worth it for the publishers. But if it is the case that they're just losing out on subscriptions that they otherwise that people would have otherwise paid full price for, but are now just going for the cheaper bundle, then this is going to be bad news, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, for the publishers. And a final note, real quick. I think a lot of this is clearly um, in response, as far as Apple goes, in response to slowing iPhone sales growth. That's been a big topic over the last few months in the tech world. You know, Apple's very concerned also with retention. At least if they're not growing, they don't want to shrink. That's for sure. If they can get iPhone users hooked on Apple News, you know, it's just yet another form of lock-in that could stop people from leaving uh, the Apple ecosystem. And on top of that, you know, 
this is a service that would go to further bolster Apple's narrative that they are now a services company, that they're going to make a ton of money from services. So this is a big bet and this really needs to pay off for them to really push that narrative. All right, that's enough Apple talk for today. Before you guys head off, I wanted to discuss real quick uh, MGR for a second. Uh, we have been, if you are in e-commerce and you sell on Amazon or want to sell on Amazon, um, we can help you. Uh, we, you know, over the last six months, our Amazon program has just been exploding. And I think it's because we've really finally kind of cracked the formula ourselves as to what really works on Amazon and what doesn't and what you need to do to succeed. Uh, we've seen a lot of success with companies who went from starting their own e-commerce store but wanted to expand Amazon, obviously for the major distribution channel, to companies who had never even started their own store yet and actually started on Amazon first. And we've done really well, built up their brands, and then they've been able to expand their own e-commerce store outside of Amazon. Um, but yeah, Amazon is just exploding. I mean, that's why I talk about it on this podcast so often because their ad programs are exploding. Their uh, overall just presence in the zeitgeist. I know it's a fancy word, but the zeitgeist of the populace. It's just, if you're not on Amazon, you can't really say that you're relevant. Um, and it really is useful to boost your brand and to boost your sales. I mean, it's another distribution channel. I, I tell people all the time, it's very similar to kind of retail in the, back in the day and still today to now that you have to look at Amazon as, you know, getting on the shelves on Walmart or in Costco or one of these big stores. It's a big deal if you can sell well on Amazon and get on the first page of whatever keywords you your products sell under. And uh, we can help you do that. We've really figured out the formula, cracked the code, you could say. And uh, so anyways, if you want help with Amazon, we can help you with that. Uh, I set up a little special link for you guys, MGR edge.com slash amz very simple three letters slash amz just go there and uh you know just fill out a little form we can contact you we'll give you a chat i might even contact you myself and uh we can discuss how we can help you with amazon and e-commerce in general i really i really really think that we can help a lot of companies out there and we already have been so very very excited about it anyways guys thank you so much for listening as always, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on whichever platform you listen to. It helps us out more than you know. I really appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great week. I will see you next time.